Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Kristen Sanat, and as always, you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are talking to Shurston Klein of Willie's Ski and Board Shop. Willie's is celebrating their 52nd season this year, and Shurston has been working in the shop that her in-laws started for the past 30 years. We had Shurston's husband, Greg, on last season to talk about Willie's. I highly recommend you give that a listen. We'll have the link to it in our show notes. But this time around, Kara Williard and I got to sit down with Shurston and talk about some of her past experiences. They're really good. You're going to like this. We got to talk about some of her past careers and experiences that range from modeling. And definitely check our show notes for a link to a music video that Shurston so kindly shared with us. It's amazing. It will definitely bring a smile to your face. It's from the 80s and it's a music video. I don't think I need to say much more than that, but check it out. She was also a sponsored snowboarder when snowboarding was first getting started. And she tells us how she went from a university athletic trainer in Colorado to a shop girl in Pittsburgh. We also discussed how to jump into a long-established family business and how her role has evolved since she moved to Pittsburgh where Willie's multiple shops are located. She tells us about their five and under free program, and we have a lengthy discussion about women in the sport and how her long-running Winter Diva program has helped give women a voice and also helps inform the greater snow sports industry. It's a great conversation, but before we get into it, this episode of Gear 30 is presented by Open Snow. Open Snow has been our go-to weather app for some time, and we have an exclusive offer for you and our Blister audience. Go to opensnow.com backslash blister, and you can get an exclusive free 60-day trial where you'll be able to test drive all of Open Snow's best features, including custom 10-day snow forecasts for any location on Earth, You can track incoming storms with high-resolution weather maps. You can read expert analysis via local daily snow forecasters. And there's a whole lot more with this exclusive free 60-day trial. You have nothing to lose. So head over to opensnow.com backslash blister. And before we get to our conversation with Shurston, I want to mention our upcoming Blister Summit. With lots of mountains opening this weekend, including Crested Butte Mountain Resort, ski season is here, and our summit isn't too far off. The summit starts February 12th. On the 12th, we'll have a welcome session that evening, as well as a movie and athlete Q&A. You're not going to want to miss this. That is our travel day. That's not when we'll be skiing, so just get there by about 5 p.m. The on-snow demos will be February 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. Those are the same days that our panel sessions will be, so plan to stay through the end of the 16th. Check out of your accommodations on the 17th. We have over 30 brands attending, and we keep adding more. Peak Skis will be joining us, as well as Head, Renown, Rosignal, Moment, DPS, Majesty, DinaFit, Blizzard, Forefront, Wagner, Folsom, and so many more. We have over 22 ski brands alone. That's a lot of gear to test. And we have brands other than ski brands. We have Flylo, Thermic, Ordovox, Deuter, Zipfit, and so many more joining us. So head to our website or check the show notes for a link to registration. And start planning your trip now. 
you'll find info on lift tickets and hotel discounts on our website. And the sooner you book, the better the prices will be. So start planning your trip today. And now let's go ahead and get to our conversation with Shirsten Klein. Kara Williard and I are here today to talk with Shirsten Klein of Willie's Ski and Board Shop. Last year, Jonathan Ellsworth and Greg Klein talked about Willie's and the history. It's actually one of my favorite Gear 30 episodes, not just one of my favorite Shop Talk episodes. So if you haven't listened to that episode, don't stop us right now. Go back to it after the end of this episode. It's episode 167, and we'll have a link in our show notes. And so we get to talk to Shirsten today. And I am super excited because every conversation I've had with her has been amazing. Jonathan even referenced it in his last podcast with Willie's. So we have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. And let's start off. Shirsten, why don't you tell us a bit about your background, kind of where you're from, uh, how you got involved in skiing, and we'll go from there. Great. Um, I think like anybody's life story when you've lived as long as I have, that you could take all day. We could talk probably talk all about it, but I'll kind of give you the quick and uh, PG version of that. Um, my parents taught me to ski. Uh, they were huge lifestyle, uh, uh, passionate people about whether it was winter sports, summer sports, whatever. We did everything as a family, and we tried everything. It was it was really a great way to to grow up. Um, when I returned from Europe, uh, modeling in Europe, I moved uh, back to Telluride with my dad. And, uh, you know, it was back to a, a, a passionate lifestyle that uh, helped heal a lot of <laughs> a lot of what my early career had had taken away. And, uh, um, you know, just being in the mountains and I really enjoyed all of that. And from there, I moved to Boulder um, to uh, go back to school and uh, went into sports medicine and worked for the athletic department. And while football was my primary sport, I got loaned out to the uh, ski team. And at one point I asked my boss, I was like, are, are, are you demoting me? <laughs> um, but uh, it happened to be where I met my husband. And while uh, I had been a sponsored snowboarder, um, it was time for me to head back to the skis at that point. And they felt a little strange, but you're not going to work for the ski team on a snowboard. <laughs> so, um, so I got myself back on the skis and uh, was, uh, we spent the next uh, uh, period of time getting to know one another. He came back to coach after racing. And uh, uh, I had been working for the ski team for a while when, when he came back and um, I didn't know who he was because I was new with the ski team. And, uh, you know, so it was kind of, Fun. I was like, and, and who are you again? He's like, I'm Greg from Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, I'm coach. I'm like, well, okay. Um, I said, Pittsburgh's a great place to be from. <laughs> <laughs> um, little did I know, uh, two and a half years later, we would be married. And I knew within the first five minutes of meeting him that I was going to marry him. And uh, we've been together now 30 years. And uh, we came back. All he ever wanted to do was run his parents' ski shop. And uh, when I didn't get into medical school, I was like, ski shop sounds good. All right. <laughs> and uh, um, so I was kind of regrouping. And uh, I was lucky enough to have great uh, mentor. My mother-in-law really took me under her wing, taught me everything she knew. You know, we've been in business for over 50 years. Uh, she built it from the ground up with her husband, Willie Klein. Obviously, that's who it's named after. And uh, his brother, Freddie Klein. Um, and they've since handed it off to us and given us the reins. So 
that that was very good history. But you had a lot of stuff in there that you kind of just glazed over. <laughs> and, I told you I was giving you the PG yeah, version. No, no, we need to go back to some of this. And and first of all, your introduction about like when you've been a lo- around as long as I have, you're not that old. Um, so I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I appreciate that. There's just a lot of miles in those 56 yeah, years. Done a lot. I get that. I get that. Um, but so you grew up in Colorado, is that right? Or So I grew up moving around. Um, oh, okay. So it was... While my father was in the military, um, uh, I don't think he ever got moving every six months out of his uh, bones when he left. And so we did. We moved all the time. Um, we lived all over the world. And then, uh, when I moved out on my own, I also moved around a ton. So, um, it was, it was a pretty eclectic upbringing. Nice. And so you met Greg when you were working at a university in Colorado, is that right? Yes. So, um, we both went to CU Boulder. Um, He raced for the, he raced for the university of Colorado after he, um, graduated from GMVS. And, uh, after they got their, national title in 91 he came back to coach and uh coached was it 90 or 91 oh, now i'm forgetting um <laughs> that's okay and, yeah you, you won't hold me to that one huh? he'll probably come down and yell at me <laughs> anyway um yeah so he came back he was invited back as a coach then and uh then that's when i was lucky enough to meet him sweet but okay I want to go back to another thing before that. Uh, you threw in modeled in Europe, um, kind of quickly glazed over that. What tell us a little bit more about that one? Um, so when uh, I started modeling when I was about 14, 13 or 14, um, and was lucky enough for it to take me to New York, to Europe. I was able to uh, live all over Europe and travel. Um, by the time I was about 20, I was. Um, aged in those days for modeling. <laughs> they, yeah. These days, it's really nice. I see girls like extending that all the way through. Um, anyway, it was, I, I had done it for a long time. And, uh, and I think I'd taken it as far as I wanted to and could. Um, so I needed to take a pause. And the mountains are always a great place to take that pause. So then you also just briefly mentioned sponsored snowboarder. Um, so sorry, I'm just picking out things that yeah, I hear <laughs> you, you. I hear you. Um, right over. So again, uh, I think that it probably had more to do with my being a model than it did for my necessarily my skill level. Um, but in those days, if you were a girl and you were snowboarding, I mean, keep in mind, this is eighties. Um, you know, we were still, we, when we talk about product, um, and the development of product, we had boards and we had bindings. We didn't have boots and you didn't have bindings that came in a lot of different sizes or any of that stuff so we were duct taping ourselves into our sorrels and yeah and and i did i had a i had a great time i i uh competed um and enjoyed it and did all kinds of just amazing things we they would helicopter us up to like 12 13,000 feet and have us jump out <laughs> and and you know throwing ourselves off of cornices i i came with the fact that i was comfortable in front of a camera and had um uh and not I was, I didn't have a big sense of fear. I was like, sure, we'll do that. Like, why not? But <laughs> don't, don't normal people do that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it was, it, it was just a really fun early time in the sport where none of us really knew what we were doing. So we were trying anything. I mean, in those days, the idea of, you know, um, uh, jumping off of anything or going fast and stuff, that was about as close as we got, you know, do you still snowboard? 
occasionally, it's been a long time since I've really spent a lot of time on a board. Um, I, I find that if I'm able to get out, it's a whole lot easier just for me to throw on my ski boots that are in the back. You know, being, we have an area shop, um, and so it's nice just to get a little mental floss in the middle of the day. Um, and both my kids were ski racers, you know, my whole family, everybody else. I was the only snowboarder. Um, I taught Greg how to snowboard. He actually was better than I was probably <laughs> at some <Okay>. point. <laughs> um, and when we used to travel pre-kids, we used to leave with um, our regular skis powder skis, a snowboard each, cross-country skis. And I mean, that's in the day, you know, pre-9-11 when you could, you know, where bags were free and you'd yeah. <laughs> we'd look like we'd go out for like two weeks and, and just have a, a great time. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, it's been a while. Um, that's a Wow. Yeah, it's all very interesting. Those little, little aspects you just sprinkled in. So thanks for sharing those ones. <laughs> yeah. Super cool to know. Well, and it helps relate to the customer base. You know, it's one of those things where you can, you know, you know, from experience, you know, what they're going for and, and what troubles they're finding on the mountain. So you can help them with their product. You also mentioned you, you jumped right into Willie's and how um, Greg's parents who, who founded the shop, how they welcomed you in. Can you tell us a little bit more how it is to jump into a family business, uh, especially a family <laughs> business that's the in-laws? Because I mean, yeah, in-laws are a uh, source of, you know, a lot of things. So, yeah, no, you know, I'm super lucky. Um, my my mother-in-law, Linda, and I are we're super close. And I really appreciate what she's taught me about everything when it comes down to running a, a family business is challenging. There isn't another industry like ours. Even the summer industries, you know, the the seasonal businesses, uh, ours is unique in many many ways. Keep in mind, we have about thirty weeks of of kind of full on. You know, out of fifty two weeks out of the year, we're really focused for thirty of those, getting ready for the season and wrapping the season up, being kind of the bookends of that. And there's not a whole lot of industries that have to basically sell everything that you didn't sell in previous years, uh, receive everything that you're getting for this year, uh, train your entire staff for that period, you know, with all the new gear, account for everything, pay for everything and buy everything for the future year, all within that 30 weeks, even a condensed period of that 30 weeks. And uh, so in a family, you know, for years, I literally sat right next to Linda. We spent, we worked seven days a week. In, you know, five feet from one another. You learn a lot about somebody, and uh, <laughs> and and she did a great job teaching me about what she'd learned through the business. Because just like me, early in snowboarding, you know, them early in the ski industry, there were no rules. They had to make everything up, everything from the liability forms that you sign every day, all the things that we take for granted right now. They built from scratch, and so catching up with that, it's kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. But uh, you know, with with the right team, you know, we, we talk about business at dinner. We, you know, we work together all day. We're, you know, there's, it's easy when you all have the same goal in mind. When you, you came up to speed on Willie's, was there specific roles you kind of started to take over or specific programs you were starting to implement or kind of where did you want to take the shop? So a lot of it was kind of following along. Um, there's a lot of breadcrumbs to follow. And uh, I started, I actually started as a salesperson. 
they just needed help. I had another, you know, I still hadn't really given up on my medical career. Um, like I said, I, I was a certified athletic trainer and I really enjoy that. And I still maintain my license. I still really enjoy that. And um, it provides a lot of, you always need something else to anchor you kind of outside of a, a big business like this, just to help, you know, kind of balance yourself. And so being a salesperson, they needed the help. Yeah, and I and I found I really enjoyed it. I I was good at it, and I loved working with the customers. I loved how passionate, how the passion of the people that we that we employed um, mirrored what I felt inside and what I had learned over the years about being a customer and being an athlete in the industry and stuff like that. So um, I kind of felt like I'd found my tribe. And right in the middle of Christmas week, our manager quit, and. Um, so we had we have two managers in each of our stores at least, uh, but our area shop we have four. Anyway, so our our soft goods manager quit, and I came home one day and I was like, you know, Greg, I I think I can do this. And he's like, do you really want to do that? He's like, I know it's a lot to ask. It's family business and it's tough, you know. And are you really ready to give up on the rest of it? And I was like, you know what? I think I am. I think I'm ready. So Christmas week, I took over as co-manager with um, Bill Lickenheimer, who is our general manager. He and I came up in the ranks together. He started working for us in high school and still works for us. We're the same age. Amazing. He, he, yeah, right? <laughs> and he's the best. And he taught me a lot too. He really showed me the ins and outs and how to you know, manage the actual store. Um, and from there, I moved into the offices um, and did more of the administrative work. Um, I was our first original snowboard buyer when snowboarding uh, was starting to come into its own and really requiring kind of its own personal touch. Um, uh, I was, you know, obviously I knew that market pretty well and I knew a lot of the people. So it was kind of fun. I'd show up and they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and um, yeah, so it was good. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then slowly but surely uh, as Linda and Willie started to kind of phase out, um, Willie, uh, Freddie left the business as well. Greg and I just started taking over more and more. And I think in a family business, um, any kind of small business, there seems to be kind of a natural division of labor. My husband's uh, background was in small business and entrepreneurship. So uh, Greg is the one that um, is distracted by the shiny new things and is constantly you know, looking for newer, bigger, better. And I run behind him and try and build the structure so that we actually have uh, you know, the, uh, the compliance and the, you know, the, the, accounting and all of the the financial aspects, stuff like that, that, that kind of go along with, with having a successful business. Um, and I do that for all of our businesses. So we have, a, we have a, a handful of different things that we have our hands in. And so I kind of try and find where those things dovetail and how we can um, be efficient and all of them get everything done. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, I mean, you've pointed out several things, but I like the way you highlighted like some of the intricacies of running a ski shop, having that 30 week a year window, I think that gives people a lot to think about as far as how you have to kind of manage those 30 weeks and how much is going on and occurring within the whole year, but mostly just focusing on a certain amount of time. And then also just like the multi-generational family business. That's really cool to hear about. And I'm curious just to kind of hear a bit more about how Willie's has evolved, I guess, since you and Greg kind of came into it and maybe how you saw some of the priorities or some of the things that you really wanted to focus on and maybe how some of that has changed over the last few decades. 
Yeah, actually, fantastic question, because one of the things I respect most about my in-laws is, like I said, they were designing things from the ground up, and they always encouraged Greg and I to try anything, you know, whatever it was that we thought we needed to do for the, for the business, for the industry, for our customers. They never said no. They always allowed us to try things. And sometimes if it didn't work, um, they were fine. You know, they would be the ones you know, saying, you know what? I, I, you tried it at least, you know, they were always super encouraging about, uh, about that. Um, and so I think with that background of continuing to try things and be innovative, um, that we have continued in that trend. You know, I think one of the big things that we talk a lot about is the development of product and where product shifted it you know keep in mind we've been in business for 50 years we have literally seen everything <laughs> you know what i mean i mean we have hanging next to my um desk at work i literally have greg's first boots which are tiny little leather boots they look <laughs> like they should be dangling from my mirror so you know cute. what i mean um you know so you know, we're talking about you know wooden skis and bear trap bindings. You know, my uh, father-in-law was a rep for Northland skis, which if you go to any of the ski hall of fames, uh, you know, stuff like that, that, that's what you see in the museums. You know what I mean? Um, you know, they were very instrumental as, as all retailers were, were, they were trying to get to, to get the information from the customer that we had direct access to and still, you know, as a small business and especially with an area shop and stuff like that, we see customers and what they're struggling with at any given day. And um, Lyndon Willie really pushed that envelope in trying to uh, to address the individual needs as we as we went along. And then you know, I, I have to be honest with you, we just kind of continued that. That's a you know, the framework it's built into it's hard baked into what we do as a specialty business. Is there any advice you'd give anybody that is looking to jump into a family business uh, or even just start a ski shop? I bet you have like well, so much of it. The first thing I book, would but... say is that you have to have a screw loose. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to give you a screwdriver and show you exactly where to loosen it. <laughs> um, it is a fantastic business. It It is a, it is a tough industry to break into. Um, I actually, again, in some of my anchors that I do outside. I consult um, with SCORE. It's a um, small, it's part, it's kind of associated with the Small Business Administration, but it's on its own. It's its own entity. And it is a mentoring, um, uh, free mentoring service across the country uh, for anybody who wants to start a small business. And so I talk to thousands of people um, about how to start a new small business and, and what to do, what not to do, how to make that really successful. And I find that it all starts with passion, regardless of whether you're going to bake donuts for people or you're going to sell skis to people, that you must have a incredible work ethic and an incredible desire and passion. Because keep in mind, that's, that's what differentiates you from anybody, you know, small business versus big business. Big business has a lot of assets to work with. And the biggest asset you have is your authenticity and your enthusiasm. Yeah. And so then how, I mean, I guess in the, since you and Greg kind of took it over, how have, just from a logistics standpoint, how has the shop grown or expanded? And then I guess second to that is what are some of the things that you guys really decided to focus on as far as programs or visions that you saw that were needed in the area? Um, and I, I, again, super questions, because I think trying to figure out exactly what 
your customer base needs as it changes and shifts. You know, obviously we just came through COVID. There was a lot of different, you know, it, it, huge changes in the industry. There's constant changes in um, in the marketplace, in the, you know, uh, in the product offerings. And I think one of the things, you know, we see ourselves as a major conduit between the actual um, end user and the manufacturers and trying to make sure that the manufacturers are, are getting the most, I guess, real information that they need. I put that in air quotes because by real, I mean the people who are essentially paying for this industry, moving it forward. You know, what is it that the that the average user on the mountain needs? And um, you guys have heard me on my stump before. I am a huge um, proponent of local ski areas, and while I understand that um, you know a lot of people in the industry tend to think of the most influential areas um, uh, for skiing tend to be, you know, kind of Rocky Mountain, you know, that the the corridor of, you know, Colorado, Utah, um, you know, into the California mountains and in Nevada. Um, and and I do, I love skiing out there. I'm from out there. I lived out there. I went to college out there. <laughs> you know, I, uh, and I get it. But what I've come to learn is you know, my first ski mountain um, was a tiny little hill outside of Seattle. I skied in small mountains all over, you know, the country. And, you know, Pittsburgh, we ski at Seven Springs, um, now owned by Vail. It is all of 700 vertical feet. Somebody might, somebody might correct me with that. Okay. And I get that. They, some other people have more information than I have. But we're not talking about major mountains. You know, they're the Alleghenies and they are literally one of the oldest mountain ranges in, in the, the world. So they're small, but we have some amazing talent that has come out of our area. Christy Lustkinen came out of our area. Um, Tom Wallish came out of our area. I mean, there's that, they're uh, you know, probably the two of the most recognizable names, but there's a lot of people and a ton. If you, if you look at the at the pros who come out of, uh, or you know, who are, who are really making headlines, many of them got their start in small mountains, local mountains. And it, it is not a term I coined, but the idea of feeders and breeders, very few people actually go to um, uh, ski the, you know, the big mountains Again, in air quotes, I'm you know talking mostly Rockies and, and maybe going up to Bugaboos and that kind of stuff. Without first getting started someplace, where they get started is with their local ski shop. In some, sometimes it's a high school or junior high school program, you know, local area with their family, hopefully, you know, and and uh, you know, I guess this is kind of a long way of going around to saying. What we've done and what we see our role as being is to really bring attention to that local skier, the, the small feeder and breeder skier who needs to have early intervention, essentially, to make sure that they're on equipment that suits them, that they're, that they're dressed properly for the weather and the conditions so that they enjoy it at a level that we've come to learn to enjoy it. Because, you know, I have to be honest with you, they get out there the first couple of times and it's rainy, it's cold, it's icy, and it sucks. We've lost them. They're not coming back. But if they come with that same, if they get you know a couple glimmers of that excitement, you know what it feels like. Everybody here, close your eyes. You know that feeling when you're just like, that was the best, you know, part of your epic day. If I can give them a taste of that, 
they're going to love that. And so making sure that that manufacturers know what it is that that people are bumping up against, what they really need to help them enjoy the sport more. Um, we started a family program. Uh, you know, we believe that uh, families who ski together stay together. It's one of the best gifts you can ever give a child. And what we found over the years is that most families wait until the youngest is ready. What does ready mean? I don't know. It's different for every kid. But it's hard to invest in a child that you don't know whether or not they are ready. And so we took the guesswork out of it. We give equipment basically for free. Um, it's our uh, five and under for free program. And it is, uh, it's, it's literally been one of the best programs, um, I think, for getting families ready to ski because it allows for everybody in the family to get on the mountain, regardless of how little Sally feels about it because the family's not taking a financial risk on this. Um, yeah, they have to buy the product outright, so there's that. But then when they bring it back and get upgraded to the next level of product, they get 100% of that money back, and it just rolls over into the next program. Uncle Sam keeps his part. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> um, but it it takes, it it's, it's no risk. If little Sally decides that this is not for her and she is not ready, you turn the equipment back in, you get your money back. Yeah. Um, but that means that mom, for example, who used to be stuck at home, my dad took the, maybe the two older kids, or nobody goes skiing until the little one is ready, that you're not taking that from them, that everybody gets a chance to get in on the snow. Because we find that the earlier that they're ready to get on snow, the earlier they do get on snow, the more ingrained it becomes in their lifelong uh, fulfillment. When I learned about this program, I was first amazed and then trying to figure out how I can participate in it from New Mexico. <laughs> so, because I, I have a four year old now and he's been on skis since he could stand. And it's one of those things like, if you're investing in it, you're kind of feeling like, okay, we're going to the mountain, you're going to use this. And if there, there's not that investment issue, you can go to the mountain. And if the kid doesn't want to, you're not forcing him to do anything. So, it's it, your philosophy on this is fantastic. I love it. Um, and just exposing them at a certain, like at a young age and just showing like the joy you see in it. It's, it's something that we've been doing with my son and, and he gets excited about skis and, um, and skiing and stuff like that. So it's, uh, kudos to you guys for seeing that need and creating such a, a valuable program to your community. Yeah, it has been really good. It's, it's the same philosophy we have on a ski pass. If you're committed to going skiing, buy a ski pass because every time you go up, I mean, you can just go up for lunch. Go for a couple runs and you've made that ski pass worth it. Where if, you, if you're paying the money for a day pass, sometimes you feel like you have to be out there all day. You don't maybe feel like it. You're tired. Sometimes you push it too long. You know, it's, it's the ability of making it part of your life and your lifestyle. And that's what this program is designed is to allow the family to make it part of their lifestyle because now everybody can. And we have a, a, a comparable um, program um, for uh, kids under 14, 14 and under, um, which is uh, our junior buyback program, which again, it, you're buying the product outright and then we give you a guaranteed buyback at the end of the year. And you know, it, it's a way of keeping families, you know, I get tired of hearing people say that skiing is expensive. Is anybody taking a look what it costs to play hockey out you know, these days? You know, everybody in Pittsburgh plays hockey. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, but this does take some of that expense, uh, you know, the, the concern for the expense out of it and what to do with old equipment. It's part of our green policy, too. We turn that over to the next person, you know, until it ha it's had its full life. You know, that way you're not thinking about, you know, 
what do I need to do with this old gear? We've got that taken care of too. I totally agree with what you're saying about the small mountains. Um, the size, like the vertical doesn't equate to how happy or how much passion a skier or rider can get from there. Like one of my goals on, like, I don't know if I want to call it a bucket list, but when my dad was growing up in my hometown, there was a little ski hill that they had open right in town, you know, and it hasn't been open since I've lived here. But every time I come back in the winter, I'm like, please let it be open this year because they, they don't have snow making. <laughs> and I keep missing. I missed right. it by like two days one time. I was like, I want to come back here just to ski this rope toe in my hometown. And I'm yeah, hopefully sometime I get to do it. It's Mount Eustace in Littleton, New Hampshire. If anybody gets a chance, like awesome, it's great. Right? Like, so. No, it's so relatable. And it's funny because even like I'm consider myself from the West being from New Mexico, but I grew up skiing Sandia, which is like a tiny little mountain and, you know, ancient little lifts and maybe less than a thousand vert for sure. And they're not, they're not opening anymore. And it's really sad to see that. So we're kind of at that transition and we're, we're wondering how we can keep these things alive. So, um, we, you know, it's, it's cool to see what you're doing and how you're really advocating for that. And I like how you referred to it as ski shops being the conduits, because I think that's a huge, huge part of it as far as building the whole ecosystem of the ski industry, the ski shop being a major, major part of that. All right. So I I know this is a direction we really want to go as you're like one of our favorite people to talk about kind of around the topic of women's specific gear. And so um, for those who haven't heard maybe our conversation on Gear 30 with Leslie Baker Brown, that just recently happened and we kind of dove into some of the nuances around women specific and how that has kind of evolved over the years. Um, So I just kind of want to get your take on the history of some of the women specific gear and how you've seen that evolve, especially from the perspective of a retailer. Absolutely fantastic topic. And and Leslie did a great job. Uh, Your interview, I really, we enjoyed it so much. And I've been lucky enough to be able to work with the Women to Women program with Leslie. And, you know, seeing the commitment that she's had and what she's done for the industry as a whole and in, in not just women, but the industry as a whole has been fantastic. And I think I think one of the interesting parts is, of course, as we discussed earlier, the idea of um, ski shops being the conduit between the end user and uh, and the manufacturers has been a really critical part. And in that um, elevation, you know, as you keep in mind, as we as we grew as an industry, you know, we started off bear trap bindings and leather boots, you know, uh, and slowly but surely, you know. Uh, and need is necessity is the mother of invention. Um, and skiers are tinkerers. We're like, how can we do this better? How can we go faster? How can we jump higher? And so they were constantly pushing the envelope. And, you know, um, in, in one of the many heydays that, that the industry has had, um, we had this just uh, explosion of need of, uh, of recreational product. You know, in those days, you know, you had people who were racing and, and skis specifically, ski product in general, but skis specifically came down in a pyramid. You had the racers at the top who were skiing on either GS or slalom gear. And then it went down to this very broad base of many, many recreational offerings, right? And essentially at the top, those skis were what you needed for extreme high performance racing, pushing that racing envelope, right? That was really the only competitive thing that was happening in those days. And then you took stuff out. And a lot of people kind of get insulted by that. Like, oh, well, you know, I want the best. You know, what, you know, 
you're not going to take a Formula One car out on the regular road. They take out that tight suspension so that you can actually drive. In Pittsburgh, we have a ton of potholes. You can never drive a car like that. Yeah. So they take out the stuff that you don't need so that you can actually ski it like you would want to, right? And in the early 80s, um, yeah, we started to get, I think it was, and again, somebody out there might be able to correct me on this, but it was either Albertville or Calgary when the explosion of mogul skiing really, we had a couple of really dynamic athletes during that time. And mogul skiing as a whole became a really interesting and hot thing where people wanted to do it. And they weren't really able to do it on slalom skis or G, certainly not GS skis. And so the, the mogul market started to, um, they wanted a specialty ski for that. Well, the manufacturers weren't going to add ski models. So they took that model out, uh, you know, that those SKUs out of the recreational side of things and put it into kind of its new category. So again, now your pyramid is starting to get kind of off shape. And if from there, you know, you look at the, the wall today, we have mobile skis, we have uh, powder skis, we have uh, twin tip skis. I mean, you name it. You know, we have women specific skis. We have you know versions of all of these, and so it it that recreational market now is turned. You know, where it used to be the base of the pyramid, it's now more of the bottom. You know, the little part of the pyramid with this huge explosion of all these offerings. In addition to that, so the market is more specialized into what a person, male or female, specifically wants. And I tell. Uh, you know, our customers that there's no bad skis out there anymore. I mean, it, it really, it, the, the goal here is simply to find a ski that is dialed into what you need and want to be either um, better skier or to have it, you know, have it make you better or have it be easier. And that those things aren't mutually exclusive. They, they can, they can work together, but you know, at the end of the day, want to feel really good about what they've done you know what they what they their day how they how they performed on the mountain either feeling more confident or feeling like they accomplished something new and better or any of that so then i guess extrapolating out of that like how did the women's specific side of things really start to take shape as gear became more specialized well and i think it, it, it exactly because of what we were you know what i was just saying is the fact that different people have different needs on the mountain and you know, in my, my background in sports medicine, uh, biomechanics was one of my specialties. And, uh, you know, this is a newsflash. Women are different. We're built different. For, uh, we're, we're different physically as well as mentally, mentally and emotionally. You know, on all levels, we approach the mountain in a completely different way. And, you know, men also are very passionate about this because they want us out there with them. And most of us are on product. Most of us women are on product or in the past have been on product that a man in our lives chose for us, our fathers, brothers, husbands, sons, because they want us out there with them. So I I cannot tell you how many customers we have walking in the door saying she needs the best. And that's because they love us and they want us out there with them. And so the next thing you know, she's walking out with a Gore-Tex shell, a super stiff boot and a ski that is too long and too stiff for her because it's the best. Right. And she gets outside and he's all confused because he can't figure out why she hates it. She's freezing cold and she can't move the ski and she's not getting anywhere, right? So if I can get them before 
you know, I, you know, I talk to, to whoever's helping them as much as I talk to them to make sure that they are well-dressed and well-prepared and that they have the gear that they need, that we as an industry have spent years dialing in and trying to figure out what they need. In my mind, there are three basic ways that the um, women's, <sighs> women's segment of the market is being addressed. And that is product and technology specific to our mental, emotional, and physical needs. Okay. That subject and how it came about is, again, wonderful. We'll go into that in a sec. But then just the straight graphics, how it appeals to us. And then in the back side of that, the actual marketing side of things. There are different ways to market to women as a whole than there are to men. Again, because our physical, mental, and emotional needs are different. And I laugh with Jonathan, you know, <laughs> about this because I know that he's, you know, kind of questioning, is it really a need for women's product? Um, you know, something specific, you know, unisex, isn't that kind of a, and I, I guess I don't really know. Is he wanting to ski on my skis or does he want me to ski on his ski? Yeah. Great point. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't think he's going to like my skis. I, you know, like I said, I, I spent most of my, you know, really badass developing years on a snowboard. I'm not that good of a skier. It doesn't take away from my joy. I absolutely love it. But I like, I prefer a ski that uh, that I can ski on well and that uh, that has pretty graphics. I don't mind you know, saying it. I don't like the same things they like. And that's what Willie and Freddie and Linda recognized years ago when we still had that wide base of um, ski product at that recreational level. Willie and Freddie went to the manufacturers and said, you know what? Some of the girls think that this is ugly. Linda tells me this is not attractive at all. Can we make a special makeup, a smew for our girls? And they would request these special skis that would have graphics that, uh, that uh, went, you know, appealed specifically to women or matched some of the things. And, you know, Linda would bring in the color palettes and stuff like that for the soft goods that year. They matched the boots or they matched the skis or you know, something that, that really helped women really identify with the right product. From there, then, you know, that's more in the graphic side and, and, you know, they developed some marketing around that as well. Um, you know, uh, the manufacturers are really starting to, to identify some of the marketing aspects um, uh, that, that reach women specifically. But then we talk about actual product that fits specific needs. And in the early days, again, men come to the wall, you know, the sales wall where all the skis are laid out with a different mindset. And when we came up with shape skis, we being the industry, you know, um, we really had a tough time selling them to men because we're like, you know, it, they're great. And they do all this thing that helps you carve these. Oh, I don't need help. I'm fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and you'd get a woman who'd hear the same spiel and she's like, wait, this is going to be easier and I'm not going to be exhausted by the end of the day. I'll take it. And so that's when we started to identify how to really help women have a more successful day on the mountain and you know not to geek out about the biomechanics side of things but i think it's really important to understand that there is a a triangle base uh, that creates a fulcrum and it goes from the outside edge of your ski to the center of your ski to the center of your knee okay that's different for everybody of course and that 
changes with women's cue angles and with some of the other bits and pieces. But that fulcrum point is absolutely one of the most critical aspects to how you function on the slopes. And we've seen in the United States specifically a trend towards wider skis, which, as we know, the reason why people like wider skis is because they feel more stable. I don't know if anybody re recognizes this or not, but there's no evolutionary um, uh, uh, reason to be on skis. Like there, there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no evolutionary equivalent to what it feels like to go on skis. So this is all stuff that we're hacking our brain to be able to do this already. And when you're on a wider platform, I know the guys aren't going to understand this reference, but you girls out there will. When you're on a wider platform, like a wedge high heel, it's far more stable than when you're on a stiletto, right? I mean, there's a little tiny heel there's versus a great big heel. So most people feel more stable, both men and women. So wider ski equals more stability. However, this comes at the cost of added torque. So when you go, say, from an 80 millimeter ski underfoot to a 90 millimeter ski underfoot, there is 12% more pressure on the knee. Well, at the end of the day, if you've got a woman skier who's smaller, smaller mass, that fulcrum point changes, that 12% at the end of the day, she's exhausted if she's on a wide ski. You know, the wider, you know, you get to a, um, it, the difference between an 80 millimeter ski to a 100 millimeter ski, which is pretty popular now you're talking about a 20% increase of stress and strain on the structures around that knee, okay? So she's exhausted, she's freezing cold because exhaustion also ends up making you cold. And she's like, you know, that in general, that might not end up being a very successful day for her, where her, you know, the man and men in her group are like, yeah, we're all doing great. Come on, let's go for another run. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we identified a lot of that very early on, and we put women on shape skis that took some of the meat out of the middle, gave more side cuts so they're able to get that stability as well as that feeling of being able to get it up on edge, which on the East Coast is really important because there's a lot of ice, <laughs> yeah. and feel that sensation of carving. They start feeling more successful. They start feeling more confident and they are growing by leaps and bounds. And after a while, they're not only are they keeping up with their guys who, you know, uh, they've been chasing, maybe not all of them, you know, um, uh, but now they're really uh, having more and more fun. And their guys are like, wait a minute, I want, I want some of that. So the women's market really pressed that development of what now is essentially the norm as far as the shape ski market goes. And being able to uh, translate that information and get it into the product that we need. You know, slowly but surely, then we also started developing product that was um, not only a little bit softer, not as stiff, um, but that had smoother flex patterns um, or more responsive flex patterns. Different people, different beginners come to the table with different um, baggage, let's say. So when they're early on in the ski in, this, in the in a in the ski buying process and, and and learning to ski, men tend not all of them, but the tendency is to come with it with more confidence, where women come at it with less confidence. The types of problems that come with confidence, as we all know, you get in the back seat, 
<laughs> you know, that's a, if you're in the back seat when you're, when you're skiing, um, you're not able, you have less control, which again, gets less confidence and less confidence. And slowly but surely you start falling apart. If you get product that helps make, move you to that, you know, whether it's a, a boot that's more flexible or uh, built a little bit differently, you're able to get into that feedback loop, that positive feedback loop that builds confidence as opposed to draining confidence. And as we built product, we were able to dial it in. Leslie addressed this fantastically with how the Black Pearl over the years um, has, uh, has developed. And, and similar companies have had, you know, you know, some of the other vendors have had some great um, uh, development in that area as well. And I think it really is, it's, it's about learning about the customer, what's happening with that customer, what's working for that customer, dialing in a little bit, making some changes, and continuing that feedback loop. And, and the, the vendors have been, for the most part, very good about paying attention to all of that. That's interesting. And just imagining for a sec that like women's gear and women's specific gear could actually be informing gear at large when it comes to like more intuitive flex patterns and things that just work better for everyone versus like products being designed for the top. And that's kind of where things start. And so, you know, I think we often think of it as like the men's gear is kind of at the the top and center for what's being designed, but maybe it goes a little bit of both ways too. I think it really does. I think there's a lot of that. You know, um, the industry uh, is is run by people who like to communicate with one another and talk about their passion. Um, and I, I think that communication is the driving force. And again, back to that tinkering. You know, uh, you know, starting all the way. Lin uh, Freddie and Willie used to practice on Linda to see what women needed, what they liked. You know, they <laughs> they would be you know monkeying around with things. They're like, okay, Linda, go try this. <laughs> You know, and and I mean that's just skiers as you know, uh, that's in our nature, I guess. And so you mentioned um, kind of you guys being the conduit to the vendors and and this evolution, right? But you have another way of getting like you're talk you're not just talking to customers. You have this other group you work with, um, the Winter Divas, and I think right now would be could you go over that a little bit and how that's played a role in your understanding of what women want and how you're using that information um, for relaying it to vendors or within your own staff and everything like that. So I really appreciate the question. This is my passion project. And um, it, 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 I think it's really important. Again, going back to the idea that our guys really want us out on the mountain with them. You know, it's it's a lifestyle choice. When the woman is involved in, uh, as far as the family goes, as far as, um, uh, you know, in, in the younger generations, we, you know, the guys are going to go where the girls are. So everybody wants the girls out on the mountain and they want them to feel um, safe and excited and enthusiastic about it. Um, and over the years, I did get frustrated early on with, there was a, a handful of times when I really felt like, the vendors, the people in general, weren't listening um, to uh, to to what the needs were. They were kind of telling us what women needed, and yeah, uh, Winter Divas has has been, like I said, a passion project for me. And it started all uh, off of, basically off a of pillow talk. You know, like I said, we talk about business at home all the time, and my husband was like, "Oh my God, honey, stop! Could you maybe, you know?" Why don't you, you know, instead of griping about it, 
find a way to make your voice heard. You know, collect some of this information. You know, ski with some of these girls. You know, you know, create a format for them. You know, for them to be able to be heard. And that was in 2009, and Winter Divas has been strong ever since. Our guys sometimes do join us on the mountain. We call them the Winter Deviants when they come. <laughs> um, but it is a group of, it started in Pittsburgh, um, and I do try really hard to keep it truly separate from Willie's, although, you know, everything I do in a waking day is, you know, has Willie's in, in mind. So it, it can only be separated by so much. But we do work with other uh, retailers. We, um, we, we provide our information. We work as a focus group for the industry. For anybody in the industry who's listening, you are more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, all of the information is free. We don't charge for it. We want to give our opinions. We have all kinds of different ways that we are able to give our opinions, um, whether it's uh, individual focus groups that we've done over Zoom, you know, uh, Google Meets, whatever, um, whether it's filling out surveys, uh, whether it's just individual conversations, I've gotten to learn, you know, to, to learn what, what works best to communicate with these women. Um, we are a Facebook based group. Um, and from that Facebook group, uh, people can find out about the group and what we do. And we have chapters, uh, a number of chapters across the uh, country, um, and looking for more. The, the net result is what we're trying to do, again, back to the concept of feeders and breeders. Most of the people out there testing skis are either in the industry, on equipment all the time, um, or pros. And I absolutely love the ro role that pros play in our industry, both for driving performance and features and, and, and everything this industry needs, gaining influence in the, in, in the outside world. There are so many things, so many great benefits to having dynamic active pros in the industry. And testing product and pushing that envelope is one really great role for them. But we have to make sure that it doesn't come at the expense of what that recreational base needs. Because the net result is their needs at that recreational base are significantly different than they are at the level of a pro because yeah it it they are they're almost different sports you know um same passion base but different needs so if somebody wanted to get involved in winter divas so just kind of facebook based group but did it originate in the pittsburgh area is it worldwide now kind of a little bit so I, I started, like I said, in 2009, um, just as a bunch of, you know, our local girls, you know, we know our customer base pretty well. And I was like, do you want to ski on Wednesday and tell me what you think about this stuff? We started demoing um, uh, the next year's product so that we could give, and one of the things you asked earlier was, how does that work with the shop and stuff? We use that information. So let me see how to say this. When you drink wine, you're probably not a sommelier. I don't know what your background is, but I'm just guessing. You sip a wine, and if you're with somebody who knows wines really well, they say, ooh, can't you taste those oaky notes? And you go, yeah, I think that's what, is that what I'm tasting? Right? You might have called it something different. You might have said something different. But you learn about the wine based on other people and how they talk about it. And if you don't have that, you don't know how to describe it, but you might use your own language things that mean something to you. We, these women, are I've taught them over the years, they are some of the best testers out there. They demo product, next year's product. They give us their language. What does it mean to them? 
How does this make you feel on the mountain? What's happening when you're on this product, right? And we do it, we uh, in the past have tested soft goods, some boots, that's a little harder, but we demo uh, skis every year. And then I use that, all that information, we turn it into a variety of different um, uh, resources for people to access. One of them, of course, is uh, training materials for our staff. How do you talk about the ski? What makes a difference for the end user again? When you talk about this ski, what language makes sense to her when you're talking to her? What questions do you need to remember to ask and to bring out to make sure that this is the right product for her? Because again, what we have found is that no bad skis out there anymore, all fantastic, but what you wanna do is dial in the number one aspect of that ski that's going to suit her, where she's skiing, and the condition she's going to find herself in. And that's the biggest thing. And what we've done is we profile our girls and they tell us a little bit about who they are and what type of skier they find they think they are. And that way we can use that information to help match up a, a, a skier out in the, in, in the world that we don't know, that's not a winter diva maybe. And she goes, oh yeah, I'm that kind of skier. I'm a lot like Eleanor. You know, that's, that's kind of me. Then if she likes that ski, I'm going to like that ski. And, and that it really helps us translate that information. And uh, like I said, it, it, it started in Pittsburgh with my core customer group and grew by word of mouth. You know, obviously COVID has changed things, but over the years, um, uh, obviously we've been doing this for a while now, we can have as many as 70 women show up on any given Wednesday. We ski together Wednesdays, um, mid-January through uh, mid-March. And so six to eight Wednesdays, depending on how the season kind of wraps up. We have programming um, some days, uh, like we'll have our hard goods managers. We think it's really important for the women to get to know the um, the people so that they can walk in, feel really comfortable in the shop and know who to ask for, know who to go to. Um, so, uh, and they'll come and they'll check out, you know, see how their boots are fitting. We do a quick clinic, make sure that their boots are fitting right, that they have the right size poles, that their bindings are set where they need to be set. We have skied with Ski Patrol. We went and did a tour of the facilities to make sure that, you know, if you are hurt, you, that, that seeing the inside of the Ski Patrol building isn't your first time. You know, we, a couple of the girls climbed in sleds and they kind of drove them around so they could feel what it felt like, you know. Um, we do a lot of things like that just to, to learn more about the mountain. The women, therefore, become a, um, a voice for the mountain. A, uh, they talk about uh, they talk knowledgeably, not only about product, but they become the word of mouth about what's happening at the mountain. In the old days, uh, somebody used to come down from marketing to give a quick overview of what was happening at the mountain during that season. From there, what, so like you said, it was, it, it was a Facebook-specific um, communication is what we, you know, page. Um, and uh, we did that to stay very open and uh, transparent to the industry. So that anybody could find us and ask questions, connect with us, whatever you know, whatever way it was. What we found then is that we started getting a lot of people from outside the area wanting to know how they could get involved. And uh, at the same time, we also wanted a little bit more of a private place to be able to really have communications and chat. So that was right about the time that Facebook came up with Facebook groups. So each uh, chapter has its own Facebook group, and it gives a little bit more private place for us to have conversations. 
how to set up, you know, set meetups so people can ski together. Because even in our area, we do ski together every Wednesday, but not everybody can ski together on Wednesdays. In the other chapters, uh, they set their own times and dates and if they want to do something together. If they want to schedule programming, I do help. Basically, all it takes if you want a chapter in your area is somebody to be an admin for the Facebook group um, so that we can make sure that, that we're monitoring it so we're not getting advertising and junk on there you know, things that we don't want, um, and to monitor meetups and make sure that uh, people feel safe being able to connect with one another. And eventually, if we're traveling again, I'm hoping actually to go and do an event at some of our chapters and, uh, and, and uh, you know, bring some of the Pittsburgh love to, to all these other areas. And it's just cool to hear, uh, like, how many different facets this group is kind of tied into as far as like community building, building confidence among a group of women who now feel more educated about the gear or the mountain. They can now be leaders on the mountain, um, you know, just feeling confident in themselves. And then also just being able to inform like the larger industry about some of the things that you're seeing and also the aspect of being able to train your employees through some of the, you know, how to talk about things in a way that makes sense. And I just think it's a really powerful program. And it's so much more than just like a women's ski group, obviously. That's just really cool how you've designed it to become so much more than that. Thank you. Thank you. It is a great community. And, you know, we've seen each other through births, deaths, um, you know, all the changes that we all go through, um, illnesses, you know, obviously COVID. Um, so there is that deep community sense, deep commitment, uh, each of these groups have a deep commitment to their local area and to their local retailers. Um, you know, we work really, uh, uh, we work hard. I'm a firm believer in um, uh, a high tide rises all boats. And so I, I really want to make sure that the, you know, in any of our chapters that the local retailer is is supported through that. And that these girls take their job very seriously. Yeah, they really feel like yeah, uh, yeah, they really do have a voice in the industry, and that somebody is listening. We have been able to make some amazing changes, both in our own business, being informed by our local group, as well as pushing for changes in the industry as well. Yeah, it's it's something that I've noticed since I've joined Blister is just once you start talking about the gear, like I think a lot of women or people in general are um, nervous to go into a shop and not know the right terms or anything like that, and. And it's great that these women are starting to be able to talk to it um, within like a safe group and not feeling like they don't know what they should be saying or they don't know the marketing speak or something like that. And the fact that you're allowing them to come up with their own terms, like if something doesn't make sense, like how do you describe this? And then you can start talking to customers and the industry in general and be like, this isn't working. These, You need to address it differently. So I think kudos to you for creating such a safe space and a way for um, kind of lifting up women in general um, in the sport. I think it's wonderful. I was just going to say in the fact that it's scalable so that you've found a way to make it something that can be grown or implemented elsewhere too for women beyond your immediate area. So for women listening, just know that Winter Divas is a possibility. <laughs> Do you have any specific goals um, for the future for Winter Divas or? I've read, you know, uh, I, as I said, I'd like to travel and I'd like to get out to, to see some of these other women. I'm very lucky that Pittsburgh tends to be a microcosm of the rest of the 
country as far as women skiers. We have every social economic um, group pretty well um, represented. And many of these women travel to ski, so they're very familiar with all of the other areas. They're from different regions. They just happen to settle in Pittsburgh. But that doesn't speak for everybody. Um, and I think that the more voices that are heard, the more information that we can get out there, the better off we are. And being able to connect those directly to specialty retail. I am, again, a very firm believer that specialty retail is the number one uh, most important aspect of the industry. And it's not an easy industry, you know, um, and it's, uh, it, it is currently facing a lot of challenges. Um, and uh, so finding ways to connect the dots, so to speak. And I think that, I think customers in general are better serviced in a specialty environment, but very specifically, women are more likely to get the true help that they need in a specialty environment. Again, if they feel comfortable and are able to open that communication and that conversation, because yeah, the better the skier you are, the less the equipment actually makes a significant difference. You can ski on anything, you can get down the mountain on anything. You might not like it, you get down to the mountain and you're like, oh, you know, not my favorite, right? But if you are in the more recreational category, proper equipment can make or break your experience. And getting the proper stuff, getting the proper boot fit, getting the proper equipment, you know, dialing that, you know, like I said, everything's so specialized these days. Finding what's specially good for you is really critical. Okay, so what advice for women in the industry or just women in the sport? Um, what advice would you have for them? Hmm. So it, I've been lucky enough being in the business for 30 years that I have been able to mentor some absolutely amazing women through our shop who are now in places with um, a variety of companies, uh, uh, Burton, Nordica, you know, there's uh, there's a whole bunch of places that women who specifically worked um, in our shop have moved into leadership roles in the industry. And I'm, I, I think that in general, our industry is fantastic about providing opportunities for women. And it's really up to women to take those opportunities, to find people who can help you and to develop um, your own sense of confidence about what you know in the industry and what you want to see happen in the industry, not only for other women, but for people who are enthusiastic about the mountain lifestyle as well. You know, I think that, you know, I can't tell you how many people we've, we've raised, you know, multiple generations of families through our shop. And I think that's for me, having come into the business late, like you said, I, I came in as a, as a, as a, uh, import <laughs> from outside <laughs> um, with a different background. And, and uh, while I was both a skier and a snowboarder, I wasn't in the industry specifically. Um, and seeing that now from the inside for 30 years, I think skiing is one of the greatest ways to meet all of your most important needs in life. You know, the basic six human needs that are so important. And women kind of hold the key to that, you know, um, the role that we play in families, in small businesses, in, uh, in relationships, 87% of big buying decisions are influenced heavily by women. Um, and so guys care what we think, you know, 
they're not going on a ski vacation if she doesn't like it and wants to go to the beach. You know what I mean? And what we have to offer in the ski industry is such an amazing gift to families. And, you know, I, I will say this over and over again. Families who ski together, stay together. And that's one of, you know, because everybody can get out and have a little bit of what they personally need. And and mountains are so healing and so uh, energizing and inspiring. Nobody comes off the mountain going, well, that sucked. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they come in, even if it was pouring rain and solid ice, they're like, oh my God, can you believe what we were doing today? <laughs> you know, people's best days of their lives are on the mountain. We always laugh about with our with our young 16-year-old kids who, who come to us fresh. This is the first job they've ever had. We say, you know, this is the most important job you will ever have because you only go to your doctor or your lawyer because you have to. They come to you because they want to. And we do our best to train these kids to really be able to help these people dial in and inform them about what product they have that they need and can, you know, that's going to give them that experience so they can go out and have their epic day. Yep. I think that's completely true and just really important to think about as far as like how to keep the whole family going, how to make everyone happy out there and to really like cater to each person's individual needs so that they can have the best time out in the mountains. So um, I love how Willie's accomplishes that and a lot of the programs that you guys have as far as the five and under free program and winter divas and all these other things that you're doing to really help grow the sport and keep people in the sport. And that's really what the industry needs the most of. So thanks for all that you guys do. It was awesome talking to you again, and um, we hope to see you again really soon. And of course, we had a bunch of fun skiing last year, and I'm sure you guys are gearing up for a really busy winter, but thanks so much for taking the time, and thanks to Willie's. Yes. Thank you for the great conversation, Kirsten. And I hope someday to get down to Seven Springs and uh, Pittsburgh and see your spot. So sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, you'll have to come ski with our divas. Yep. Yeah, everything. Every time I meet somebody from Pittsburgh, it's like, oh, Willie's. Yeah, love that place. And there's a lot of people that there are a lot of people. yeah that I've met from there. So our Pittsburgh's best uh, uh, things are export. We export our people. <laughs> nice. Okay, thanks again. Thank you so much. All right. Well, it's time now for our weekly what we're celebrating segment. This week, what I'm celebrating, well, it's a few things. I guess I should start with, this is my first time doing a solo what we're celebrating, I believe. So maybe I should celebrate that. But I'm also celebrating being home with my family in New Hampshire. I love spending time here. I absolutely love the company and I'm super excited to be here. I have my brother, one of my brothers coming over with his family, my parents, currently sitting in my childhood room. It's it's been a great trip and... I am excited about that. I'm also celebrating the start of ski season. Lifts are starting to turn, and that's always something to celebrate. So this week, I'll be raising a glass of Osti Spumanti, my family's traditional drink for our Thanksgiving toast. I'll be raising that glass to the start of ski season and to time spent with family. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thank you to my co-host, the multi-talented Kara Williard, who, when this podcast airs, will be somewhere in South America on her way to Antarctica. I also want to say thank you to our guest, Shirsten Klein, 
and to the wonderful Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And from our entire team here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everyone else out there. And have a great weekend. Thanks.